Gracias, Jessica. You are my strength when I am weak. Have you ever experienced God's strength when you are weak? I know I have. Well, good morning. It's good to see your smiling faces, eager, hungry faces this morning in the house of the Lord. And I'm looking forward to worshiping with you and learning with you and coming to the Lord's table with you in obedience to our faith. The God that we hold so dear. Well, as Kevin mentioned, our communion Sundays, we mix things up a little bit. We have an opening song and then the sermon and then worship and then um, communion Sunday. And I'm going to for right now, I'm going to stick with my psalm series, my God tune series on our communion Sundays. I'm not quite finished with the psalms and it's not. You know, we're not going through them numerically, but just kind of as the Lord leads, picking one um, to edify us specifically on communion Sundays. And this morning's psalm is Psalm 100. It's God's praise song, God's tune, whatever you want to call it. And I really love this psalm. It is five simple verses. And there are no cultural practices mentioned in this psalm where we got to dig real deep and, and, and push our minds to figure something out. There are really no words in here that we need to do a word study on in order to understand them, and comprehend. It's just very simple, straightforward, enjoyable psalm that is absolutely profoundly packed with biblical truth. And I'm going to I'm going to be in this psalm for more than just one sermon. So the next communion Sunday, we'll we'll look at this and we'll unpack it as well. Maybe even a Sunday after that, because I, I look at this psalm and I'll read it in a second. But really just the first three verses, but the, the second verses um, are even more profound. But it, it tells our life story. It tells the history of redemption in a sense. Where we came from and what life is all about. And it just says it so simply that I absolutely love this psalm. Let's read it. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people. In the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Just kind of by way of a quick introduction and then we'll unpack it. Two of the things I immediately like about this psalm is how practical it is. And that is it, it, it tells us how and then how much. In the sense that it tells us how God likes to be praised. That's a helpful thing to know if you've come to the house of the Lord to exalt God and to praise God. There are actually specific things that he likes or specific means of worship that he likes. And we learn in this psalm that he likes to be approached in worship with joyful hearts, with gladness, with biblical thoughts of truth. And in the Old Testament, when a lot of their praise songs were sung corporately as they were approaching the temple to worship God. So 
they're coming to him. They haven't even they haven't even gotten to the building yet or to through the, the gates yet. But they're on their way to offer their sacrifice, you know, do the official temple things. They're on their way there to have their prayers, their tithes. But before they even get there, they are thinking about God. They're filled with joy and they break out in songs, songs that they all know, songs that God has given them uh, to sing. And so God likes to be approached by a people that have been thinking about him, wrestling with life and his place in their hearts. And then they're filled with joy because they know this God. I like that immediately about this song that they approach him in that way. So it tells us how, at least one way, that we can praise God or glorify in a way that he likes. That's a good thing. And then it shows how much, in the sense that how much he enjoys to be praised by people. So much, in fact, that this psalm invites the whole world, invites every person on the globe to enter in to this joyful, heartfelt praise. The God thinks big. He, he thinks inclusively. And this psalm, with this invitation for everybody on the earth to come and join in the goodness of God, it really clashes with today's understanding or perception of Christianity. Have you ever felt like, you, like you're just being pushed in the corner by society or culture? Like you and your beliefs and and your strange practices and your morals, you just they, they don't belong out here in the public square. Just keep those in your closet. Keep those at home because it's all um, ex- exclusive. You, know, you, you make us feel, if we don't live according to your standard, you make us feel live in shame and just feel guilt. And, and it's so restrictive. There's no fun involved in it. We want to live out here and be free. And... That is not Christianity. Christianity is for the whole world. And Christianity actually is what sets you free. The beliefs of the gospel is what sets you free and enable you to live truly joyful lives. So it's interesting the different um, perspectives that we have as far as, well, what does our culture think about Christianity? It's just like a little, little cultic way to live and you can't get into the club unless you do certain things. God invites on the basis of the blood of Christ, every individual to joy in the celebration of who he is and his acts of redemption. And sure, Christianity is exclusive in the sense that God has given us specific truth claims, but they're true. And the truth is what sets you free. And so he wants everybody to be set free through the free gift of. Of salvation. After all, it was man that walked away from God, right? We walked away from God and the goodness of God, and He is inviting us back to the table by His grace and His mercy. It's a it's an incredible offer here in this psalm to redeem man. So, with that said, we're going to just dig a, a little deeper in how God likes to be worshipped. These are just very specific ways in this psalm. So first of all, in Psalm, in verse 3, he says, the psalmist invites us and he says, Know the Lord. Know the Lord. So immediately as we think about how can I praise God in a way that will touch his heart, so to speak. 
that will bring him to light because I know I've been reminded so much in this church that our ultimate mission is to bring God glory. How can I do that? Well, one of the ways is by knowing God. Come to him. Dig. Be, be daring enough to come close to God. To, to get to know him. He's revealed himself to us. And natural revelation. Special revelation. He wants to be known. He's a personable God. He's a relatable God. Don't walk away or, or be scared of him. Based on maybe what uh, the culture teaches about who God is. Hear him for yourself. Read his word. Dare to come close to God. He wants you to. He wants to be known. There's no, he has nothing to cover up, nothing to be ashamed of. He's a perfect, good, good God who does everything for our good to His glory. So He wants His people who He has created, and this Scripture tells us that He's created all of humanity anyway. And one of the distinct things or abilities that we have as His creation is to be able to know things. And to know people and have relationships. And so he wants us to use the gifts that he has created us with to dig in and know him. To find out how reliable he is. Find out how much he loves us for ourselves. Because when we learn it for ourselves, when we know God for ourselves, not just intellectually, but experientially, then our faith just deepens. And when our faith deepens, our joy deepens. And when our joy deepens, our praise and exaltation becomes more passionate. It's a beautiful harmony in here. So, as enjoyable as music can be, and we can get caught up in it, for the Christian, our heads have to be engaged. It's not enough just to be happy. We could be happy in singing a bunch of lies. A lot, I mean, we are a culture. Music has power. And it's meant to have power. It's given to us by a gift, the arts. But it can be used in the wrong sense. How many people in our culture, perhaps even ourselves, are joyfully singing these great songs with these great lyrics? And really, if you were to look at what the lyrics are saying, they're lies. A lot of them are contrary to what the Bible teaches. But we have a good time singing them. And this is just a reminder that our minds that God gave us need to be engaged if we want to properly praise Him. The excitement needs to be based. It has to have a solid foundation of truth. So God cares about our joy, but He cares about the truth involved in it. Know it as truth and feel it based on truth. So this psalm really has is reiterating so many times in our studies in the in the book of Psalms where God brings us to our attention the importance of doctrine, the importance of what has been revealed. It's on that basis of those truths that we just bring and exclaim them back to God and praise him for the veracity and that's what honors God. John Piper says we must see him clearly and savor him dearly. And that's another way to say it. It's a more clever way to say it than I could. But it's you're, you're seeing him clearly. You're knowing him for who he really is. And based on who he really is, 
You're just savoring that truth. You just want it to last forever and ever and ever. God is so deep that there's, we can say like, I know God's love, but we don't know God's love like it can be known. There's always more of his attributes that we can experience and know and turn into ways of praise. So our thinking needs um, to lead to feeling. The emotion is there, but it's based on the truth. So is the emotion wrong? Is the joy wrong? Is the gladness? Should we just be give the frozen fish look and the frozen fix? Have you ever seen the fish eyes and the frozen fish section? It's kind of, you know, is that how we worship God? The, the feeling and the joy is there. He wants to see it. He wants us to take joy in the truths that he has shared with us about his goodness. So our thinking should result in expression through our bodies and through our lungs to the ultimate glory of his praise. So it's full of doctrine. Now let's watch how this doctrine works as we continue to deep to dig in here. Look look at the pattern. In the first three verses we see in the first um, two verses we're invited into the praise, make a joyful noise, all the earth, sing with gladness, come into his presence with singing. And that's the exaltation, the feelings, the experience. What's it based on? Verse three, know the Lord. He is God. It has to be based on that truth. And then he does the same pattern in verse four. Here's the praise, the feelings, the experience. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks and bless his name. Based on what? God is good. God is steadfast. His love endures forever. And He's faithful to all generations. His faithfulness never, ever ends. And you see how the, the truths drive our excitement and drive our praise and our passion. It's the foundation that we build our times of worship on. If you just know, you could be a baby Christian. You say, well, I don't, I don't even hardly know any truths. If you just know one truth about God, that's enough to be joyful and to sing your lungs out in praise. And it reminds me of in the Gospels when Jesus comes um, upon a, a poor blind man. He's blind, but Jesus comes and he heals him. And the blind man now sees life. He can see things. Whereas before the other sensory perception abilities that he had would kick in. But now he can see things. And so he's excited and he runs out. But some of the people that hear about it are the Jewish leaders. And that they see this blind man that can now see. And rather rather than praising God for this, they say, wait, wait a minute, what happened? What do you mean you can see now? You, you can't be healed on the Sabbath. This can't be happening. You're not allowed to be healed on the Sabbath. This is a Sabbath and healing is a work. And by the way, who did this? I'm paraphrasing. Who did this anyway? Jesus, who's he? Who gave him permission to even do this kind of stuff? We have chain of command. We have authority. God given, God placed authority. What What is going on here? And so in essence, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but what the blind man says is, look, guys, I... You, you can work it out. 
you, you can process what, how you think it went down or whether you think it should have happened or, or whether I'm really seeing you with my eyes or not. You, you figure that out for yourselves. But here's what I know. Here's a fact. I once was blind and now I see. And on that truth, I am rejoicing because that's my reality. Y'all can do what you want with it. You can rejoice or not, whatever. But this is my reality. So that's one truth that he is able to, to build his life on. That one thing, I know this. I don't know. I don't have everything figured out. We don't have everything figured out. But the truths that we do know, because we've pressed in, because we have dared to go deeper with God instead of shying away from him and being scared. We've dared to take him up on his invitation to know him. And because we've done that, we know things that we didn't used to know. And because we know things that we didn't used to know, now our lives are more stable. They're more solid. They're more trusting because we found out how incredible the God of Holy Scripture is. So you see the, the, the process here. We learn and we praise God for the truths that we are learning. So here's exactly, as we continue in this mode of thought, here are three things that the psalm gives us to know. What are three things that God would have us to know about Him when we praise? Well, first of all, I've already mentioned it, know that the Lord, He is God. That's the first thing. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Well, of course God's God. Do we understand that? And is there more to be known? And just knowing that, don't just like, it doesn't just mean like, okay, now I, I know that now and I can move on with my life. We, we know it and let it sink in to impact us. And the Lord in your, in your Bible here, you'll notice that it's in all caps and translate, the translators do that to clue us in that the, the name that God chose for himself here is his covenant name. It's uh, Jehovah or Yahweh. So he wants to be known specifically as the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God. Know me, my people. I want you to know me in this way. I make promises and I keep promises. Do you know me in that way? Have you experienced me in that way? It's important to God that we... We grasp this truth that he has given us. And of course, we have a Bible full of examples of God making promises way back in the fall of man before the promise of creation and goodness. But then man falls and he makes this promise of redemption. And he is just constantly fulfilling this promise. He's delivering people. He made a promise to the forefathers of bringing blessing in and the promised land to bring them into a place to make them a nation and to live among them. And we see that this book is filled with fulfilled promise after fulfilled promise after fulfilled promise. So we need to know that the God that we're worshiping, when he says something, he does it. It doesn't matter how impossible it is. He's going to do it. And that's how our attitude should be when we worship him. We're not just worshiping a God that has a good track record, you know, pretty good track record, a perfect track record. 
And this is important because these examples of redemption aren't just in the Old Testament. They're not just yesterday. They're today. As Hebrews says, today is the day of salvation. Today for God is important. Just this very day is important. It's momentous in how we press into him and how we know him. Because God is continuing to keep the promise that he made to mankind. I will redeem you. I will save you from your sins that alienate you from me and I will bring you into the table and we will fellowship together forever. So this is a promise that God is continuing as he reconciles the world to himself through Christ. He's continuing to keep. It's not because we're seeking him. It's not because we're waking up in the morning saying, you know, today's a day where I'm just going to decide to live for God. It's because God has set his mind and his heart and his promise upon you. And the invitation is for you to believe in him. And as Corky reminded us this morning, the gospel isn't just about the one time salvation. You live in the gospel every day. You're forgiven every day for your sins. And we can glory in the gospel and we can remind ourselves every day that my right standing with God is by grace through faith. So we can enjoy the grace afresh every day that matters to God what thoughts are floating around in our minds as we come before him and praise him. He is God. All the substitutes that we might have, all the things in our lives that maybe we're trusting in, uh, mostly trusting in God, but I've got this nest egg here. I've got plan B over here. God is worthy of our whole heart. And you can put all your weight on Him. And if we could only see our idols for how God sees them. And I'm reminded how He reasoned in the book of Jeremiah. I'll paraphrase again. As they began to worship idols. And in this case, real images that became symbols of some powerful thing. And I'm probably being a little more sarcastic than God was, but he was sarcastic in here. And I'm going to use my gift of sarcasm. But in essence, he says, look, just think about the process. You go out into the woods and first you got to find a piece of wood that will work. You got to find a good piece of wood that'll work. And then you, you got to cut it and you got to carry it in. And then you, you work your magic on it. You carve it into a beautiful Image, graven image. And then you worship it. And you trust in it. And what do you do? Well, you carry it around with you because if, if you, you feel lost or, or unstable or unprotected if you left it behind. So you got to carry it around with you. Now, let's just reason together for a minute. You made it. And then and you got to care for it. And yet you're going to depend on it for your livelihood. You're going to say, you're my deliverer. You comfort me when you're the one that carved it. And by the way, it doesn't even have legs to where it can walk on its own. You got to carry it around and you're going to trust in it to carry you. And when you look at it, it, its eyes aren't looking back at you. It can't see you. How's it going to care for you? How's it going to know your needs? It can't hear your cries for help. Just think about your life. Think about what you're depending on. And this applies to us as well. Think about the things. If it's, a, if it's money, 
if it's a position, if it's status, if it's our dream come true that will make all of our life pull together in a magic puff. All these things that we think will bring us stability. Just think it through a little bit. Can that really carry you, save you, deliver you, help you? Maybe a little bit here and there, but in the big picture. So God wants to be known as the one and only God that he truly is. And it's to our benefit because it's really a waste of time. It's a waste of money. And it's a waste of energy to trust or to give our lives to anything else. God is good in this way. So he is God. And second, he wants us to know, again, it's so basic and yet so profound. He made us. He made us. He created us. He created all things by fiat, by the power of his word. He just speaks them into existence. And we're one of those things. And he formed us through the clay, the dirt of the ground, material, created material. And he breathes his life, his life into mankind. We are God's creatures. We're God's handiwork. He is our craftsman. And he crafted us with incredible intent and purpose. It wasn't like, hmm, I'll see how this thing, let's see how this works. Everything is, is very caring. And that simple truth, when we believe it, changes our lives. It changes our lives. Some of the versions say, I think it might be the NIV, doesn't just say he made us, but the implication is, which means we didn't make ourselves. If God made us, then we didn't make ourselves. I mean, how many people believe that in one way or another, actually we did make ourselves? We did make ourselves, or we evolved ourselves, or I'm, I'm making myself right now. I'm choosing who I am right now. But God engages, He wants our minds to be engaged in that we know Him, for who he is, and then our minds to be engaged as we understand him as the one that creates us. He brought us into being and he sustains us. He sustains us. He upholds us by the power of his word. And because he made us, we're accountable to him. He made us for a purpose and we're accountable to live according to that purpose. As he keeps us. So this this matters. How we approach God in our praise. There's, there's options out there. To choose from. Lots of options or ways to look at God. You have deism which says. Yeah well he created everything. But it was like alright I created it. But now I'm gone. Y'all are on your own. Kind of don't bother me. I'm giving you what you need down there. To fend for yourselves. But that matters. Or atheism, where you don't even believe in a God and you're not really sure how, or or agnostic, you don't really know how it all works. You just know that you don't know. Well, that affects the way we live. That's going to affect what we get excited about, what we believe in, what we think is trustworthy. So all these isms, or if we just think that the material is all there is, then there's not even any such thing as supernatural or spiritual realm. It's just what we can touch and feel that impacts our lives. Those are worldview things. 
and we look at the world based on what we believe. You look at the world and the th- challenges that you have throughout your life, knowing that he created you, specifically knitted and formed you. You're his work. That is going to affect you your entire life as you feel different things, troubles that come into your life, assaults to your to your dignity. Are you worth anything or not? Does our world struggle with the idea that am I really worth anything or not? And if I am worth anything, what am I worth? This is basic. It's simple, but it's profound. Did did we evolve? Are we all just um, mindless, hormonal, cellular impulses that by random chance sparked here and sparked here and sparked here and here I am before you today? If we choose that route, then it's going to impact the way we live. God is real. He came into our broken world in space and time in history, you you can't escape the God of Scripture. He's writ, we, We've written about Him in our books. Now, He's written about maybe from a non-believer's perspective and then a believer's perspective. But He's there. He is history. He's real. And He wants us to know in our re- real world that He has made us. So, origins are important. I remember, it's kind of common knowledge that you want to know where you came from, right? And um, some people, uh, if they... I remember uh, my parents had nine kids. And I'm not going to mention which one, but one of them looked the least like a Montana. Um, and so, like, all of us looked a lot alike. But one of them looked the least alike. And my older brothers used to tease her. Well, now you know it was a sister anyway used to tease her you're not you're not really one of us you were adopted and it caused her to question of course i just did what my older brother did i just joined in on the fun whatever he did i was going to do but anyway it's like it unsettled her because there's something in us that wants to know where did i really come from if, if mom and dad aren't my real parents then where i did and and we might and people go on searches and then you might find out well now I know, and I don't want to be involved with my real parents, or there's history here, stuff, but at least I know. And it's important for us to know. It was unsettling to my sister that the idea that, hmm, well, maybe there's some truth to this. And then she settled it by going to mom and dad. She trusted mom and dad, and they said, of course you're not. Don't listen to those bozos. Don't trust them. Trust me. But there's something in us and it's important to us and our existence and our being. And God's saying, I know you have a need to know. And when you dig deep, if you're willing to hear truth, you will find me as your creator. And then the third thing the Lord wants us to know is that we are his people, the people of his pasture. You belong to me. But look how he depicts himself as the good shepherd. Isn't it interesting that Jesus gives that same teaching in the New Testament about the good shepherd? The God introduces himself or reveals himself to us as this shepherd-sheep relationship. And sheep need help. 
Sheep need to be led. He says, I'm the one that's going to care for you. I know your needs. I know your frailties. I'm going to walk you over here when you need something to drink. And I'm going to walk you up here to this plush pasture when you need something. And sometimes we got to go through the valleys to get to the good places. I'm walking you. I'm, I'm with you this whole time. I mean, when we when we sit here this morning and we commune and we worship, are we realizing the truth that God is shepherding us? He shepherded us here this morning. He, he led us right here as his flock, right before his holy word, right in the midst of his brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God. And his presence is with us. He's leading us. He's that kind of God. And he wants us to know, I got this. I am with you. You're not alone in this world. You weren't created to be alone. You were created to be with me. And it makes a difference because if we follow the wrong shepherd, if we follow somebody that we think we can trust and they're feeding us believable lies, we're not going to wind up in the place that we are this morning. We're going to wind up out there as wolf meat. We're going to be somebody's lamb chops. If we believe lies. So it's it's simple in truth, but it's very profound in how we conduct ourselves. How far will this shepherd go? This good shepherd Christ showed us. And he says, I come and I get we read it in John 10. I give my life. I, I voluntarily lay it down for you. Do you deserve it? No, but I love you. And this relationship in the Holy Trinity comes into effect. And I will willingly lay my life down for you. That's how far I go in my shepherding occupation. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. So there are decisions that need to be made that aren't ours to make. God's made them because we he owns us. There are things that we can't do. They're not our actions to do because God owns us. In our society, this whole idea of being uh, being submissive to something is is very oppressive. We think that freedom means that we can be anything or do anything other if, if I am restrained in any way, I'm not free, right? That's today's rationale. And where does that lead us? No, freedom is living according to the truth. Not making up truth, not escaping truth. That's called bondage from a biblical worldview. Freedom is in Christ. Freedom is in God. You, you will never be more free than walking in the ways of God. His, his rules aren't there to rob us of joy and fun. His rules are saying, this is how I str- strategically created everything. And if you go the wrong direction, the current's going to mess you up. It's a riptide. But if you just come along with my ways, you'll never experience such joy and depth of meaning. That God wants to be known in these three ways. He is the only God. He made us. We did not make ourselves. And he is a good shepherd. We want to look at life through that. It's a worldview. It's a presupposition. And 
One of the reasons I'm going to spend a little more time on this passage is this morning I want to, I want to show how beautiful just these truths are and can be when we embrace them and live in them intentionally. But for the next sermons, I want to show you how dangerous it is to not know this. How dangerous it is to not base your life or, or a society on these revealed truths of God. There are consequences to ideas. And our culture has very dangerous ideas today that do not line up with what we know of as God's truth. And it is distorting us and destroying us at our very foundation. Because how we look at life determines, we don't just make moral decisions at random. We think about things and we're making daily decisions based on how we think the world works, our worldview. It's, it's not detached. So our world, are, uh, we have dangerous decisions. Dangerous decisions and ideas and worldviews actually are coming, becoming the law of the land. Not even just personal choice anymore. It's the law of the land from the Supreme Court, our highest court. Of judges have a worldview and truths that they think are evident that are not biblical, and laws are being set in place that are very destructive and dangerous. And that's what I want to talk about. It's not just about the, the beauty of the truth, but ideas have consequences. And when we stray from these, you think about. There are laws about abortion, of course, that are very anti-biblical. Parenting. Parenting. Marriage. Uh, sexual orientation. Laws based on how life works that are contrary. So we're going to look at some of these things in the sermons to come. But you are not your own. And then just, just to wrap it up here so we can prepare for worship. The second stanza, there's some more things that he wants us to know. For the Lord is good. What does that mean? He's pleasant. He's a good God. He's a merry God. He's morally good. He's kind. He's friendly. Is that the God that you know this morning? And it says, the Lord's steadfast love is everlasting. So the love that God has, it's not like the love that we see on this level. It's resolute. It's backed by loyalty. It's backed by duty. It's unfailing. Is this the truth that we're, we stand on today? And then the last thing is the Lord's faithfulness endures. You're getting back to the idea that God is a covenant God. He keeps promises. So the, the impact that this has on me is that if that's true, then the way I have relied on him so far, I can continue to rely on him in this way, no matter what comes into my life. Doesn't matter because God is faithful, period. And though this changes, he does not change. I can carry this reliability into the future generations as we're encouraged to do. That means that my kids can rely on God if they so choose. And if God so chooses my grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids, it's accessible to everybody. God has promised Himself until He returns 
that he is accessible and he is faithful to keep a promise. So he invites us in. And I close with this. God wants to be praised, not just by what we see here, but there are others out there that he would have them sing praise, that he would have to know him in a saving way. So this kind of praise is not or adoration. It's not selfish. When you understand God in this way, just like in this psalm, I invite the whole world. I invite the whole world to know the glorious God that I know. To, to experience the joy of truth and pure living. To know things for sure and be actually confident about things. How many things is our culture confident about? We're not confident about anything because we live in a relativistic world. In a relativistic world, you can't be confident about anything. God says, come and worship me this morning in confidence because I am sure I am true. I am the one and only God and you are my people. I have brought you here. Now, what will we do with this this morning? How will we express our love and our adoration for such a God that has revealed himself to us? May God bless the preaching of his word. And we have an opportunity to express our gratitude and our joy through worship this morning.